did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. The weather is unbelievable. Nice weather, cold weather, nice weather, ice all over the place. I told my wife last night, we were looking out the, the kitchen window, and I guess a neighbor had like his back lights on, and the trees were glittering, and the porch had the icicles hanging down. It was beautiful, because we were inside and dry and not getting wet and iced on. So it was amazing. And what was also amazing here, people, it wasn't as bad as, at least in my area, as what the weather made it sound like, but people stayed home. People didn't travel. So I had to drop off suddenly at the post office, empty. I had to get a tire repaired, empty. It still took time. He said it wasn't a nail, it was a plastic until he got it out, but it was empty because people weren't driving. So, uh, so with the difficulty of getting around in the weather and the ice and schools closing earlier, being just completely closed. You can find the good stuff also. You just have to look for it. Just have to look for it. I was telling one of my children that, you know, we're put in situations. Mrs. Sharm says, Ramchal, he says, you know, you got to learn. I'm not afraid to do stuff. I'm trusting in God. I have confidence. Why? Because I know whatever the situation I'm in is because God put me in that situation. God put me in the situation so I can handle it and I'll move on. So my child says, so that if I'm, if I'm in a bad mood, so uh, God made me in a bad mood. I said, no, that part is your responsibility. And it's true Sometimes good, sometimes pleasant, sometimes not as pleasant. Um, the situation that God put you into. But your reaction, your attitude, that's your responsibility. You have a choice. You could take it and say, this is what God wants. And then generally speaking, it's fairly easy to be okay with it. Or you could decide, this got nothing to do with God, and I'm not happy with the situation, and I'm going to be miserable. So obviously easier said than done, certainly when you're talking to a teenager. But at least conceptually, that idea is, uh, is really quite amazing. And maybe that's the lead-in to the whole Purim story as we're getting ready for that most fun Jewish holiday. Children run around in costumes, and as I always mention, Purim is not the Jewish Halloween. Halloween is a pagan holiday. We get dressed up, we'll see, we'll talk about why we get dressed up and why everybody's wearing masks and stuff. That we'll, we'll get into later. But at least before we, we dive in, um, there is no question 
that if you look at the entire story, it's true. You know, you, you look at the at the story of Purim, and it's all of ten chapters. And if you take your ten minutes to read through the whole story, right, you see you see the whole string of events, how they're all tied together. But if you were living in those times, and the string was a twelve year story, it's not so easy to put everything together and see God's hand everywhere and every step of the way. It's, it's hard to see. But if your attitude was, God put me in this situation, and sometimes I deserve to be in a hard situation, but God put me in this situation, I'm going to have a different attitude. Yes, there's ways I have to react, which, again, all these things we're going to talk about. But it, it's, it, it, it is eye-opening to how I deal and react when things happen. But before we get into the Purim story, of course, to all my dedicated listeners, I know you guys love the show, and I do need your help. To help the show spread, to take care of this wonderful uh, um, um, uh, sorry, I need a drink. Take care of this wonderful studio. Um, I do need you to go to my homepage, hit that donate button, leave a name. I give a shout out in memory of happy birthday, whatever you'd like. And of course, in advance, I do thank you. So let's talk Purim. So you can't talk about Purim, obviously without talking about the story. But we got to go a little bit further back in history. So to give us an idea, the Purim story is taking place during the Persian Empire. So that's before Alexander the Great. This is when Persia is that world leader. This is between the first temple and the second temple, so approximately 2,500 years ago. Just to give you a a round number, about 2,500 years ago. Now, we have to go a little further back. So in the time of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was in the first temple. By the destruction, he had prophesied. And he said that we are going, the temple will be destroyed and the Jewish people will go into exile for 70 years. The only thing was, Jeremiah, like all prophecies, are not very specific. So who decides, besides God, of course, when the 70 years is actually going to start? How do you, how do, you do this 70-year counting? When the Babylonian king takes power, when he conquers the land of Israel, when he destroys the temple, when he takes the kings out, uh, when all the Jews are out of Israel, th- there's different dates, and it's hard to put your finger on it. Now, what's amazing is that all the kings that had conquered Israel. You have Nebuchadnezzar, and you have his son Belshazzar, and Nebuchadnezzar, these different guys. They were all concerned with Jeremiah's prophecy. As they, they knew about God. Whether they felt like listening to him or not could be another story. But they understood there's a God. And they understood the Jewish people is, is his nation. They, they got that. And they knew about the prophecy. So as long as the 70 years wasn't up, Life is great. But what happens when the 70 years is over? So this was a major, major concern for all these kings. Again, it's, it's hard to imagine such a thing because we're, we're not used to prophecy at all. So we're not, you know, we're not scared of anything. But, but they were. You know, they're not Jewish. Right? They're not doing no Jewish religion, not doing no Torah, none of this stuff. At best, they're pagans. But they were worried that Jeremiah's prophecy will come true. 
Yevil Shatzim miscalculates, and he makes a party, and there's the writing on the wall, and Daniel comes and translates it, and that night, um, the army that Belshazzar destroyed that afternoon, they re, um, re got back together and they re-attacked and Belshazzar was killed that night. So this 70-year idea, they, as soon as they calculated that the 70 years was over and the Jewish people weren't redeemed, they said, okay, I can breathe a sigh of relief and I'm good to go. And the same thing really is happening at the beginning of the Purim story. At the beginning of the Purim story, we have... Um, Achishverosh, it's three years into his rule. Achishverosh was not from royal blood. He had married the granddaughter, Nebuchadnezzar, and he obviously was a major general. And we're going to talk about the royal blood. That will be important later in the story. And he also is worried about the 70-year calculation because in his reign, I mean, at the end of the day, in his reign, it will come true. But he was worried. It's three years into his reign, and he says, okay, to set, according to my calculation, the 70 years is up. So what's going to be? And according to his calculation, nothing happened. So if nothing happened, he's safe. Life is beautiful. He now will rule forever, or as long as kings ruled in those days. He's going to celebrate. Now, there's a few interesting facets to keep in mind. He changed the capital of Persia. He moved it to this place called Shushan. Shushan is pretty much nowadays off the map. Okay, they found, um, they found archaeological digs. They found the area. But really, Shushan was not the place. The, one simple possibility is this is how a king shows I'm the new king. And I'm going to make a new capital because I can. That's why I use the old capital when if I'm the new king and I want to show like a new monarchy like all kings want, I'll, I'll uh, make a new capital. However, others say, a, a little bit's making fun of him, he wanted King Solomon's throne. It was a, again, in those times in history, there were famous things. And there was the famous throne of Solomon who had all the animals and however it worked, and the animals would lift you up to the next step. And there was, a, there was an Egyptian king called the Limping Pharaoh who had tried to walk on King Solomon's throne, and the lion hit him, and he limped forever. So Ahasuerus knew he couldn't actually use that throne. So he had a copy made with the lions and the animals. I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was magnificent. For whatever reason, it was made in Shushan. And it was so humongous and so heavy, it wasn't worth moving. It was easier to build the palace around the throne than to try to move that throne to wherever his capital city was at the time. Seems silly, but you're the king. You, do, you want the throne. If it's easier to move the palace, you have thousands of slaves. It's not like you pay them, right? Do whatever you want. So Shushan now becomes the capital. You have people from around the world, because again, Persia is the world power. So it automatically will uh, will have people from everywhere that are involved in the, uh, in the governing, ruling, representing, whatever it was. And the very famous Mordechai and Esther 
live in Shushan. Why they lived in Shushan, you know, I don't know. Maybe they were in Shushan before the king showed up. But that is where they lived. So the king said, I'm going to make a party. He made two separate parties. There was a six-month, 180-day party. And again, in those days when kings threw parties, like, what's the big deal? Half a year. A party goes for a long time. Everybody comes, everybody goes, until you get a chance to meet with everybody. It took forever. And then there was going to be a, an additional party for seven days for the city of Shushan. During the 180-day party, Ahasuerus kept bringing out different artifacts, different vessels from the temple. Some say he even wore the priestly garments because this was his way of showing God, God, you sent a prophecy, 70 years, 70 years is up, according to my calculation, 70 years is up, and uh, therefore, uh, you, you lose. So I can do whatever I want with your nice uh, bowls and basins and, and tapestries. I, I, I'm in charge. It's all over. God, you're done. God, of course, is never done. So God's going to punish Ahasuerus. So what happens? During the, the end of the seven-day party, they're talking about how beautiful all the women are. So Ahasuerus, of course, said, my wife is the most beautiful. And he says, let's bring her in so everyone can see. Now, again, it sounds a little strange, right? She's a queen. She is the granddaughter of the famous Nebuchadnezzar. She's not a regular person that should be paraded around. However, since both Ahasuerus and Vashti were with these kinds of people, that they were happy to, uh, to just do things that were not even nice, right? Let them parade naked. However, whatever they want them to do, they didn't bother. They said, did not bother them at all. And not as an aside, but something else, it was important to Ahasuerus. He knew this. You know, if, he's, if part of his party is fighting with God to show God that your 70-year prophecy didn't happen, then also part of the prophecy is that... Um, we're going to get the Jewish people to sin. If we can get the Jewish people to sin, then God for sure is not interested in them. Why would God care about the Jewish people if they sin anyways? So there won't be kosher food. There won't be kosher entertainment. There won't be kosher wine. Like, you name it, it's going to be very enticing. And let them come. And it does say one of the reasons the Jewish nation is, is at least threatened with annihilation is because they enjoy the party, even if they didn't eat. But they came, they enjoyed it, the atmosphere, the ambiance, the gold, the silver, the diamonds, the jewels. They loved it. It was beautiful. And it was beautiful. He's a king. In any case, Ahasuerus um, sends for Vashti, um, different versions in the, med- in the Gemara. She grew a tail, she got pimples, she became all ugly. Now, she's not going out to embarrass herself ugly. So she sends the message back, she's not coming. And the king is drunk. Right? They're drinking. These are drinking parties. He's drunk. So he's incensed. But it seems that even though he was king, he didn't get to make decisions, complete ruling decisions on his own. There was a, a board. I don't know if you want to call it a board, but it was like a board. And first, he actually, the Talmud says he called the rabbis in, what should we do with Vashti? And the rabbi said, this is a no-win. 
You can't win this question. What do you mean, what should we do with Vashti? She should be killed. She doesn't listen to the king. We tell the king to kill her. He'll listen to us. And a week from now, when he's not drunk, he's going to come back to us and say, you killed my wife. I'm going to kill you guys. That's not going to work. To tell the king not to kill her, well, she embarrassed the king. We, this is a no-win question. So the rabbi said, you know, now that we're in exile, we no longer judge capital cases. We don't, we don't have the ability. We've been exiled. Our brains don't work the same way. We don't judge capital cases. Okay? So he goes to his board, and sure enough, one of the lower members of the board is our friend Haman. And Haman says, Your Majesty, the queen has embarrassed the king. He cannot allow for such a thing. She must be executed or exiled. Again, there's two different versions, but either exiled or executed. In either case, she's gone. You're a king. You have to show who's boss. And not only that, Your Majesty, we should send out letters. Try doing this nowadays. Can you imagine if this conversation was going on nowadays? Can you imagine if pe- the same people that want to, you know, I got to dial some of his books, they, uh, they want to change some of the, um, the language. Again, it was written in his time. So whatever language he used was normal in that time. You don't like the book for nowadays, so don't read the book. But you can't change the words he wrote. That's, you know, you're changing the book. But I can only imagine if... Uh, what, what 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 if people looked into you know it's part of the Bible so they're afraid to change it right, but Haman says right every we have to send out an official proclamation that the man is in charge of the house and the wife must speak the language of her husband and she must listen to her husband. Can you imagine right, trying to even the, to think something like that nowadays? They they they, they would kill you. They they would just. You would be, you know, I don't want to get things started over here, but but just trying to imagine nowadays if uh, if on any of these talk shows or any of these politicians would say, you know, I was reading in the Megillah and the Purim story, and I, I agree with that law that Ahasuerus sent out, that the man should be in charge, and his wife has to listen to him, and she has to speak his language. Can you imagine what would happen to such a person? At least no one's trying to change the words in Megillah. Can't let that happen, but... Right, We're getting us a little bit off topic over here. In any case, so the king listens and the board agrees. That takes place in the third year of Achishverosh's rule. Okay, but after the party, a week later, he doesn't have a wife, so he he, he wants a new queen. It doesn't mean he didn't have ladies; he had a harem, but he didn't have a queen. Right? There's it's two different things. There's there's harem, and then there's queen. Now, also, what's interesting is, again, Vashti was royal blood. Ahasuerus was not royal blood, but he wants to pretend he's royal blood. So he's going to want, well, we're not sure what he wants. To get royal blood, then again, he's going to feel second class. Better you should get a wife to make her queen who's not originally royal blood, so she can't rule over him. And And Esther, believe it or not, Esther actually has royal blood. Since Esther has royal blood... So when Ahasuerus finds out, he's like, whoa. But he won't find out for years and years and years later in the story. So in any case, his advisors tell, tell uh, his servants, tell Ahasuerus, come on, you're king. Let's make a beauty pageant. Let's bring in girls from around the world. And you'll test drive them. Each night you'll take a different girl. 
You like the girl, you can make your queen. You don't like the girl, throw her into the harem. So you can only imagine that when people understood what was going on with the king, right? You're going to take my daughter and you don't want her for queen. You're just throwing her into your harem. Like, what do I need that for? So he actually, the Ahasuerus had to get um, guards, soldiers, policemen to start hunting down girls. Esther, I'm sure, tried to stay hidden in her house, but eventually there's always people who talk. And the knock came on the door and said, uh, we're taking Esther with us. So Mordechai told Esther, this is in Shushan. So Mordechai tells Esther, you know, the fact that you're such a righteous girl and, and the king is, is taking you, even the fact that this could happen, something strange is happening here. God's involved in this. So one thing. Don't tell Ahasuerus you're Jewish. Now again, uh, that was what I was looking for before. Shushan was a cosmopolitan city. So even if people know that Esther hung out with Mordechai, so what? People always hung out in, in, those, in, the, in that city with people from different cultures and different countries. It, w- it was that kind of city. There's no proof that Esther lived in your house, even if you adopted her, whatever you did. Who says she's related to you? Who says she's your culture? It has nothing to do with anything. And it was all process, uh, perfumes and oils and this. So basically it was a few years later. It's like in the, in the seventh year of Ahasuerus already. So, um, so now um, it's Esther's turn. She goes to the king. The king, Ahasuerus, likes her. He says, you are my queen. Oh, <laughs> forgot. So Mordechai told her, the one thing is you cannot tell anyone the nation you're from. Don't tell anyone you're Jewish. Don't tell she had to do things to make sure she knew what was going on. She had different servants, came on different days, so she knew which day was a Sabbath. She only ate, like, like seeds or something, so she shouldn't have non-kosher food. Um, but it would seem it was pretty easy to get away with the fact if you were Jewish or not Jewish. I, I guess they couldn't tell. I, I guess unless you really knew what you were looking for, you actually couldn't tell. So Esther becomes queen, Ahasuerus tries to figure out a way to convince her that to tell who he's, who, which nation she's from, and she refuses. And then at the same time, since, again, it was very common in those days that kings would have Jewish advisors, because very smart, so they had Jewish advisors. So Esther said, I know this Jewish guy. He'll be a great advisor. She tells about Mordechai. So Mordechai actually becomes part of the palace. He becomes one of the king's advisors. And that leads us to um, two of Ahasuerus' servants who want to um, um, assassinate Ahasuerus. For whatever reason, there's different versions why they wanted. The names were Bigson and Seresh. They wanted to assassinate, they wanted to assassinate um, Ahasuerus. They had their plans. And they assumed that just because people are standing around, but again, I know it's a cosmopolitan city, but these guys are from a place called Tarshish. It's a big, wide world out there. They would know if there's anybody from their city nearby. They knew that they're the only guys. So instead of speaking in secret code, for those of you that your parents would speak a different language in front of you when you were a kid, so you wouldn't understand, they did the same thing. Some people's house, they spoke Hebrew. Some people's house, parents speak Yiddish. You come from different... I had a friend whose parents spoke French. So you speak a different language so the kids don't understand. So these guys are talking about the plan in Tarsh in front of Mordechai, not knowing 
that Mordechai speaks all 70 languages. He sends over the message to Esther. Esther tells the king in the name of Mordechai. The king investigates. They figure out that the assassination plot is true, and Big Son and Sarah are executed, and in the king's chronicles, it's written down that Mordechai informed the king that Big Sin Saris tried to execute him, and this sets us up that the that we have important things in place to protect the Jewish people when we're going to run into Haman. But the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed Short and Sweet. Thank you, wonderful sponsor. Listen, I can't do it without you. Thank you, wonderful production team. I have David in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.